0: Good morning. <laughs> Let's all stand together. Welcome to Celebration Church. And uh, welcome our campus down in uh, the Fox Valley, joining as well, as well as the people who watch us all over the world online. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, The Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us on this Palm Sunday. Uh, Before we continue, just to remind you how we do our offerings now at Celebration Church. Uh, At the end of the service, there will be ushers at the door, and uh, you can use the envelopes in front of you to put in any checks or cash that you want, or a lot of people give online. Uh, At CelebrationChurch.tv, or you can use your phone and use our Celebration Church app and give that way as well. And thank you for your continued support. And as Ben said on the announcements, there, uh, this is our last Sunday. Uh, Stop by if you haven't uh, joined in and helped to support a child. Uh, We've been pushing uh, pushing this this Lent. Uh, Stop by there, and take a look at it. For not a lot of money, you can help provide food, medical. Schooling, education, opportunity to teach these kids about Jesus, uh, as a way for us to reach out. One of the most purest ways of giving is for missions and that sort of thing. The reason why is because you can't benefit from it. You know, we give at the church and we should, and thank God that you do that, but we benefit from it, right? You have the nice chairs and the wonderful music and the good-looking pastor and all the stuff that you have to. So, but when you give overseas or just so, you get nothing back, which is great because this is pure giving, and now it's just God's blessings get poured into your life. So, stop by there and check that out. Uh, this morning, looking at Matthew the twentieth chapter, starting at verse twenty-nine, verse thirty-four. Today's Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus is getting ready to come into. Uh, Jerusalem with his triumphant entry, which we just saw on the screen there. Uh, And uh, I want to just back up just right before this, as Matthew records this, this is as Jesus is on his way to the city. Now, he told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to crucify me, and I'll raise on the third day. Uh, And then when it happens, they were totally shocked. And he told them multiple times. And it's hard to get our, our heads around the fact that he told them blatantly what was going to happen, but they didn't get it. But you have to understand, they didn't get most of what he said. <laughs> Everything he said, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean? The Bible says, he actually got to the point they were afraid to ask him any questions because they just couldn't grasp it all. So when he talked like that, he, they had no idea what he was talking about. So anyway, he's on his way. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And we read these words in uh, Matthew 20, verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, so they're going on their way down into Jerusalem, a large crowd followed him. You can imagine, everywhere Jesus went, there were miraculous things that happened. People were stunned and shocked, and they wanted to be around, around Jesus and listen to what he had to say. As he's doing this, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, "Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us!" Now, there's one thing that makes people uncomfortable, is when somebody has a passion for God, <laughs> and they get emotional and loud. Sometimes people come in our church first time, and the music and all the clapping. So they go, like, "Oh, oh you know, what's wrong with you people? You know, God's mad. We should all be quiet." You know, well, God's not mad. And uh, and I know a lot of people they come up with a religious experience where everything's super quiet, but it's normal, it's healthy. You have a proper response to the proper stimulus is a healthy thing. Great stimulus, great response. For example, you're in Lambeau Field and this is a big playoff game and the Packers are down uh, you know, uh, by whatever and, and our team's right on the goal line and this is a chance, there's 10 seconds left on the clock. People get excited. They're standing, they're yelling, "Ah," as loud as they can. And, you know, why? Is that normal? It is. It's a great stimulus. It's a great emotional event that's happening. Great stimulus, great response. That's normal. That's healthy. Now, if you go to Lambeau Field and there's nobody on the field and nobody in the stands and you're standing there for three minutes just going, "Ah," you're a little crazy, all right? (laughs) Because there's no stimulus and a great response. See, that's why people think Christians are a little crazy. They don't understand the stimulus. God is doing great things in our midst. And when you start to understand this, you get emotional. Now, this guy's, these guys' stimulus was they had a great need. They were blind and they heard about Jesus healing people. Well, what are you going to think? What's all this noise? Jesus is going by. Jesus, heal us. And he starts screaming be quiet, be quiet. And they just yelled all the louder. And Jesus stopped and called them. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answered, we want, to, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Of course, they're going to follow him at this point. Everybody sees this. This is stunning. I mean, the emotion for this group of people is palatable as they're following Jesus Then that's when we get to the very next verse, which is the next chapter. As they approached Jerusalem, he came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie untie them and bring them to me. This is typically called theft. (laughs) Jesus says, if anyone says anything to you, and I'm pretty sure they did, just say the Lord needs them, and they'll send them right away. And that's what happens. This uh, took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So this is prophesied hundreds of years ahead of time, talking about the Messiah coming. Say to your daughter, Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is a major, major thing. This is one of the boldest things that Jesus did uh, in front of all the religious leaders is to become riding into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey because they knew of this prophecy. I'm sure lots of people had ridden to Jerusalem on donkeys before, but this is different. This is a huge crowd. They're all celebrating. This is just in their face as he's doing this. And the disciples went, as Jesus had instructed them, they brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. Uh, they could have called it Eggs Cloak Sunday, but that doesn't, doesn't sound nearly as cool. <laughs> it makes no sense. Anyway, so the crowds going ahead of him, Uh, And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, uh, in the highest heaven. So they are celebrating. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Now, I I point that out just to, to point out that it is often debated because what happens, they're yelling and celebrating him as he comes into the city. By the end of the week, the crowd is yelling, crucify him. There have been lots of sermons preached about the fickleness of people, how one minute they can be this and this. I really remain convinced it's not the same group of people. I'll explain that in a little bit. People are fickle, (laughs) but they're not that crazy Uh, to one minute celebrating and the next minute, let's kill him, because he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything that would have set him off. People say, well, because they were disappointed that he didn't become king. Yes, all speculation on their part. I'm telling you, he comes into the city, everybody's shouting, but when he gets to the city, everybody, everybody there is going, who's this? So it wasn't everybody, all right? Clearly, these were people who followed Jesus, who heard about Jesus and celebrated Jesus as he came into the city. And the crowds answered, they said, who, who's this? That this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. So Jesus, the first thing he does, he enters the temple and he causes all kinds of trouble. And he drives Uh, out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer and you are making it a den of robbers. Now, Matthew's just putting it very matter of fact. And you can imagine other scriptures, uh, gospel accounts say he had a whip. You know what you do with a whip? You whip people. (laughs) So the Lord comes in, and he is kicking butt and taking names. He goes, and says, he's smacking guys, get out of the way. He's taking these tables because they basically turn it into a bazaar uh, for profit-making, which is not what they should have been doing. So he does this. This has to shock all the religious leaders. I mean, this is, what is he doing? Who does this? How, and of course, why don't they react much to it? Because they knew he was Right? And they were wrong in allowing this. So they just kind of, you know stayed quiet, but they're getting mad. They've been getting mad about Jesus for quite some time. So anyway, he goes into the temple and does this. And then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. So he continues to do these miraculous things. Now, we read it so matter-of-factly, but stop and think. If you're standing there, and there's a guy who's blind, and Jesus touched them, all of a sudden he can see, what does that do to your head? Wow, that is incredible. And the stuff that they are seeing, people who couldn't walk, all of a sudden he touches them, and now they can walk. This is stirring the people. And they are amazed at what Jesus is doing. And when the chief priests of the law saw the wonderful things he did, they weren't happy about it. <laughs> they didn't like Jesus. And what really ticked them off is that the children were shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were indignant. So the kids were shouting Hosanna. Why? Because the whole crowd was shouting Hosanna. And Jesus is doing all these things. And kids are just skipping around. Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and the uh, Pharisees are just fit to be tied. Do you hear what these children are saying? He asked them. Yes, replied Jesus. I can hear. <laughs> Have you never read? And then he quotes from the Old Testament. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them, and he went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. So this is what's happening this week. This is Sunday now, Palm Sunday. He comes in, he does all this stuff. At the end of the day, he leaves the city, goes out uh, out on the hillside. And the city is surrounded. There's huge crowds of people that have come for the Passover. This is an annual event. It's a big event. Major celebration in Israel, even to this day. Uh, So he would go out and uh, they didn't know where he was. He would just disappear into the crowd. That's why it was so significant when Judas came and said, I'll tell you where he is. That was the betrayal. Because they wanted to grab him and arrest him, but they didn't want to do it in front of people during the day because they feared a riot. Again, different group of people. Uh, They're fearing these people. They're not going to be yelling, crucify him. They'd be crucifying the the religious leaders, so they were afraid of that. Uh, they didn't know, where, and every day he would come in and teach and do things, and then he'd go out, and they didn't know where he was until finally uh, Judas comes and says, "I'll tell, you, I'll tell you where he is. How much will you give me for that?" And that's where they gave him thirty pieces of silver. So he does this. Uh, he's teaching the people every day, and some of the most dramatic teachings uh, Jesus gave he gives during this week. Um, I would encourage you this week, just for uh, your own benefit, this week, read what he says during this week and what he teaches. We're going to take a look at some of it this morning. But at the same time, he's teaching and blessing the people. He is in the face of the religious leaders. You will read it. He is insulting them, he calls them names, <laughs> he embarrasses them. I mean, Jesus was not afraid of these people. Uh, you know, and it just made them angrier and angrier and angrier, which led to this crucifixion that happens on Friday, which we will be reflecting on, on Good Friday. If you haven't been to a Good Friday service, you ought to come. This is really one of our most powerful services of the year. It's a great time of this week, Holy Week, to just reflect on this day. They celebrate Jesus. And on that Friday, this coming Friday, he uh, is crucified. And I encourage you to be part of that. That's Friday at one o'clock. Correct? Yes. All right. Um, so we read some, some of the more famous things that Jesus said. We see, uh, in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, starting in verse 17, this is when he talks about taxes. Nobody likes taxes, right? Uh, the religious leaders come and say, tell us what's your opinion. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Cause they all hated the Romans. These, this is an occupying army. That's, uh, On Israel at this time. They don't have their own country, really. They're under the boot of Rome and uh, they're being occupied and they hated the Romans and they hated that they had to pay taxes. And surely if Jesus uh, says you should pay the tax, everybody will hate him. And if he says, don't pay the tax, the Romans will arrest him. All right. So they're trying to trap him. And they say, is it right to pay the imperial tax? And Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. (laughs) Again, he's insulting these guys constantly during this week. Why are you trying to trap me? By the way, he does call them names. He calls them snakes. All kinds of, I mean, he's in their faces. I mean, they're just livid. You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then this famous saying, Jesus says to them, so give, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. It was the perfect answer. Absolutely perfect answer. And they just, every time they try to trap him, they couldn't get him. And they're always looking for something to trap him and trip him up in some way. Uh, then the, we read the next verse. The they heard they were amazed and they left him one away. At the same time, the Sadducees, so you got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're all in cahoots. It's like, you know, Lutherans and Baptists, whatever, you know, a different denomination, but they're, they're all the same guys. Uh, the thing with the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, the Pharisees did, certainly the scriptures teach that, but the Sadducees had gotten to the point where they thought, ah, there's, there's, once you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing else. Um, so they still thought We should obey the laws of Moses and worship God and stuff because it's just the right thing to do. But when you're dead, that's it. There's an exciting, hopeful group. Anyway, so that same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Now they're trying to trap him. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Really creepy from our worldview, but this was the rule. You got a brother, he's married to this chick, he dies, she hasn't had a baby yet, now you got to marry her. All right. So uh, he has to marry her and raise up an offspring for for the widow. Well, now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. Well, the same thing happened to the second. And the third brother, right down to the seventh. Now I gotta tell you, I'm brother number seven. <laughs> Six of my brothers have married this chick and wound up in the ground. All right, I ain't marrying this lady. I don't care what y'all do to me. She's obviously the angel of death. So anyway, according to the story, says well the seventh one, and then he dies too. <laughs> she wipes out the whole lot. <laughs> I don't know if she cooked, but I'd be nervous. Anyway, <laughs> Would you not investigate that if you were the <laughs> right? This would be a discoverer. What do you call the shows you see? Watch these murder things? Investigation discovery. Yeah So many women I know I'd like to watch that. It's creepy. It's real people who kill real people, and then they do stories about these real people killing real people. Anyway. Clearly, clearly they would be investigating her by now. But anyway, she dies. So they're trying to be smart, Alex. So they said, so at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? So what they're trying to in is, look, there is no resurrection. That's why this doesn't make any sense. But Jesus replied, look, you're an error." Because you do not know the scriptures. They're ignoring the truth of the resurrection. And you don't know the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So there is no marriage in heaven. Now, I got to tell you, as a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times people have asked me about this. And I know we live in a time of great biblical ignorance but I think you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for years and you don't know this answer. Come on. Pay attention to this stuff. Read your Bibles. Get educated. People say, you know, you, you married you married another woman after your wife died. When you get to heaven, which wife are you going to have? And I said, look, Jesus said there is no marriage in heaven. It's one of the reasons they call it heaven. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> The guys are clapping. You better stop that, man. You'll be sleeping on the couch tonight. I'm a big fan. I just signed up for round two. All right, so I'm 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 good with it. I ain't doing this forever. You know. I mean, there's wonderful parts, and then of course, marriage is you know joy and misery. It is right. If you're shocked because sometimes marriage is hard, you are delusional. Of course, it's hard. There's somebody else in your face. <laughs> tell, I, I always tell my wife, she's always instructing me. <laughs> it's amazing how I survived this far in life. Because apparently I don't know how to do life. <laughs> and I'm always thinking, thank you. For, I, don't know, I don't know how I would have made it this far without your instructions. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, verse 33, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. I'll bet. (laughs) So the Lord continues to rebuke them, insult them, and embarrass them. Uh, And by the end of the week, the people are yelling, crucify him. But I am convinced it is not the same group of people Because we read in Matthew 27, verse 20, after Jesus is arrested, it says the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. This is a ginned up crowd. All right? Not everybody was a celebrant of Jesus any more than they are today. All right? So there is a huge group of people. And oftentimes they were the poor, they were the outcasts, the weak, the lame, the blind. A lot of these people wouldn't even be allowed further into the temple because they, were, you know, they had some kind of issues, physical issues. And so these people celebrated Jesus. But then once they get in, they do this big mock trial, and, which, of course, they do through the night. They rush everything. Why are they doing this? To keep it on the down low. They don't want anybody to know what's going on. I think by the time the people who've been celebrating Jesus heard he'd been arrested and was being crucified, they were stunned. I'm sure they were stunned and shocked. His own disciples were stunned and shocked, even though he warned them, not even warned them. He told them, this is what's going to happen. This is why it's going to happen. He's the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. All the scriptures about this thing, but they just couldn't grasp it. So anyway, um, again, I encourage you this week to read some of this, uh, teachings that he had. I want to end with this one. This is another one. There's a whole bunch during this week, very powerful week. Uh, he gives us parable. We see this in Matthew 21, verse 28. What do you think, Jesus said? There was a man who had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And the son said, no, I ain't going. I hate your stupid vineyard. I got stuff to do. Why do I got to do it? Why is everybody picking on me? This kid has a lousy attitude. Sound familiar, moms, dads? But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said to the same thing, go work today in my vineyard. And he said, I will, sir. Thank you for this opportunity. I love the vineyard. This is awesome. Yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to make this happen. He had a great attitude. But he did not go. And Jesus asked which of the two did what the father wanted. And they answered the first. You see, the point of this simple little parable, it's not always so important what you say. And granted, you want to say the right things and you want your kids to have good attitudes and stuff. But let me caution even you parents with teenagers, (laughs) they will often exhibit very frustrating attitudes toward you. Try not to react too much to it which is what they're trying to do anyway, trigger you. Focus on what they do. If they don't want to do it, it's irrelevant. In fact, you should teach them that. Look, it doesn't matter what you want to do. It matters what you do. Are you following me? A lot of people love to come and they like make all kinds of great, bold professions, this, some for this. And at the end of the day, they don't do anything. And others, they have exhibited out loud bad attitudes about things, but then they Change and they go do it. So, uh, focus on what they do, not so much on what they say. Uh, the saying can drive you a little nuts, but this too shall pass. Eventually, they will leave. Hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. And then they'll come back, oh Lord, oh Lord. And then they go away again, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. How many of you had your kids leave and then a few years later, they come back? Hands everywhere. Yeah, that's what happens. It's interesting. Amen. We just had Your son now is back, Tayton. We're excited. He'll be in the next service. He's in the Coast Guard. Yeah. He moved out of the house, praise the Lord. And then they decide to put him on a Coast Guard station anywhere in America. He winds up in Sturgeon Bay. He says to me, I think I'll stay with you guys and I'll save money on rent. So no, man, I'm charging you 1500 bucks a month. I'm telling you right now, (laughs) which I won't, but I should anyway. Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. They're doing and saying the wrong things, but eventually they repent and do the right thing. They were hypocrites. They were phonies. They said all the right things. The Pharisees of the day, the religious leaders, ooh, they had it down, but their hearts were wicked and evil. Uh, Let us strive to do the right thing. Now we're going to celebrate our time of communion right now. Ask our ushers to get ready to get the elements to hand out. This is the time of the service where we reflect on what Jesus did for us these 2,000 years ago. At the end of this week, he allowed his body to be beaten. He was crucified. Uh, His body was broken so we could be made whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. And we celebrate this every Sunday. This is part of a major focus of the Christian experience. Why? Because it all boils down to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. The reason we're even here is because of what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago. But the Bible says before we do this, we should pause and reflect, examine our own hearts, make sure that we're doing the right things, and if we're not, to ask for forgiveness. So let's all bow our heads as I pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done, by what we've left undone. If we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we ask you to have mercy on us and to forgive us of all of our sins. Maybe his heads are bowed and people are reflecting. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I've never done this. I've never really experienced Jesus in my life like you guys have. You can do that right now, just in your own words, ask Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. And you can take your first steps of faith this morning and allow God to start working inside of you. Amen.